my husband managed to capture the moment that I first put him on my chest um, in the water, which was which was an amazing moment. But unfortunately, your maternal instinct kicks in, and he they got me out of the water, and they I could just sense that the midwives were trying a little bit harder than probably I would have loved to have seen to get him to cry, and that was the, my first sense that something wasn't quite right. That is Cass, first time mum to baby Max. And in our conversation today, we're focusing in on that first week of life, the importance of mental flexibility in the perinatal period, because it's not uncommon for parents to experience an unexpected curveball. We all know that parenting is never perfect. We go on to talk about the first week, including advice on day-night sleep reversal, and that all-consuming topic of poo, what's normal and what to expect, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for this one as we discover more about that precious first week of life through the eyes of Cass and Max. Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Hi, I'm Meg Fora. I'm delighted to be your host and to share my experience with you. This podcast has been a long time in the making, about 20 years, in fact, when I started working with babies and discovered my why, a passion for supporting parents in the experience of a lifetime. I am so excited to bring you a look at parenting in the first year and to help you make every moment count. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me. It's Meg here. And this week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Cass, first time mum to Max. Welcome, Cass. Thank you. Hello. It's wonderful to have you join us. Um, Cass, I have followed your journey to motherhood, culminating in the most amazing birth and then somewhat challenging first week and a half with Precious Max. Yes, absolutely. No, uh, it has been unexpected, to say the least, the first week. But as you say, the birth itself was, we were very, very lucky with that. It It was the hour and a half after the birth that things started to sort of change unexpectedly, but I'm pleased to say everything is, is great again now. So, Well, that's really good news. So tell us a little bit about your birth. I think everybody loves to share their birth stories and, and are fascinated by each other's birth stories. So, I mean, I walked with you pretty much a week before uh, Max was born. And it was my due what, what date. Happened? That's right. <laughs> yes. And what happened? Yeah. So we went for our walk and to be honest, I wasn't really feeling anything. And I have to say, I didn't really realize that I was in labor when I was for, for over 24 hours. I did a charity walk on the Saturday morning, only a short walk. But on the way back to the car, I had to sort of stop. I started having a few pains and they weren't anything like I expected a contraction to feel like. So I didn't think it was a contraction at all. And that lasted yeah. for, that was the Saturday morning. And even that night I was up and about with these pains, but they, they were right they're very deep in my pelvis. And I think I just always imagined that contractions I was going to feel in my stomach. So I thought, well, these are definitely not contractions. And so I was pacing the corridors, sort of thinking, oh, I don't know what's going on. Phoned to the hospital the next morning and ended up 
they didn't think it was either. I ended up phoning them again that evening. And because I'd phoned twice, they said, you know, we kind of have to invite you to come into the hospital now. And they did a few checks and we were talking about how they were going to do some monitoring, but they really didn't think that I was in labor. The best thing for me was to go home and just try and relax, take two paracetamol and um, get a good night's sleep. But before I, they sent me home, they thought they'd just check. <laughs> and I was four centimeters. Oh, wow. And it was time for, for us to get the bags out of the boot and, and settle into the hospital. So I spent the evening in the hospital. I had a lovely time. I watched The Greatest Showman. I had my diffuser going, some meditation music. And I had a lovely, my husband slept on the floor on bean bags next to me. And then the following morning, a very similar situation. They felt that my contractions still weren't regular. They wanted to send me home again. And they, but again, they thought I'd do a quick check and I was now six centimeters. So it was time to get the pool. I had a water bath. So we got the pool ready and things did move quite slowly until my waters broke a couple of hours later. And then everything moved very quickly from that moment. And it was unbelievably intense, but I have to say I'd done hypnobirthing and I actually loved even when a contraction came because of the breathing techniques that I'd been given and the, all of the sort of um, external input of the music and the diffuser, I was so relaxed that I actually found going, I went into a real Zen state during my contractions. It was actually very enjoyable. It was almost hypnotic. Then as things started to ramp up and become more intense, again, I just still having a lovely time. So <laughs> a very different to how people describe it. But the one thing I, I was shocked by is everybody had said, when it comes to the pushing stage, you will have an overwhelming sense of wanting to push. And I don't think you can ever describe that feeling until mm. you're experiencing it. That was, that was a really fascinating feeling. Yes. I had just, just before then I had a bit of gas and air for 20 minutes and then, and then it was time. And I didn't want to have gas and air during the, the second stage just because I really wanted to feel it and experience it. And as I say, I was lucky I didn't really have any pain. And he was born at three minutes to five in the water. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, really magical, really, really special. Amazing. Very, very special birth. Gosh, almost like a textbook birth, really. <laughs> Yeah. in the end that's amazing Absolutely. and the experience of bringing him up out of the water and onto your chest I mean was that just mm. an extraordinary experience it was absolutely amazing I think you sort of don't really I knew what was happening but I also didn't know what was happening you know you you know that he's coming you keep being told keep going so close and then you and you can feel obviously you've got a very intense feeling I actually because of course the head comes out and then they turn and the shoulders come out and I could physically feel him turning. And because I'd had this hypnobirthing where they described that, I knew what was happening mm-hmm. and I could picture it. And that was, that was amazing. And then they sort of said, okay, reach between your legs and pull him up. And there's, my husband managed to capture the moment that I first put him on my chest um, mm-hmm. in the water, which was, which was an amazing moment. But unfortunately your maternal instinct kicks in and he, they got me out of the water and they, I could just sense that the midwives were trying a little bit harder than probably I would have loved to have seen to get him mm. to cry. And that was the, my first sense that something wasn't quite right. And they mm. kept saying to me, oh, it's fine. He's just, oh, he's so relaxed. You know, I could tell they were being very mm. relaxed about the whole thing, but possibly just to make me feel more relaxed, they were actually, I felt quite worried. And that was yeah. the first sign. So it was a very magical moment, but in the, just in the back, I had a niggle. Something's not quite right. Yeah. And it was a few hours later that that was confirmed for you, Kath. Yeah. So 
we went to, he did, I mean, he, he was a big baby. He was nine pounds, 10 when he was born. Oh, so, my word. <laughs> so he looked very healthy and he was a good color and he was alert. His eyes were open and he mm-hmm. breastfed quite, um, quite so about an hour within an hour. And so everything had gone very smoothly, but just as Alex was having his skin to skin, Alex, my husband, he would just been given Max. And then there was a grunting noise. The midwife said she just wasn't happy with, and she just wanted to bring him back onto the, what they call the panda warmer and lay him down. And then you could see he actually had a very pronounced M in his chest. And it was quite, he was, he was having um, trouble with his breathing and mm-hmm. they took his oxygen and it was 93 and they wanted it to be around 98. So the midwife started speaking to the SCABU, the special care baby unit. And they basically said at 93, he has to go into SCABU now. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they weren't going to have him look, looked at by doctors. He had to go straight in. And it was actually awful for my husband. I had been in the room. I couldn't get up. I just had, you know, just, <laughs> just given birth. I wasn't really wandering around. So I was still lying on the bed hearing them talk, but Alex had actually left the room to phone his dad to tell him. And when he came back in, having no idea what had just happened, his baby yeah. was being wheeled away to Scaboo and he didn't, you know, that, I think that was quite traumatic for him. Yeah. And so they took, they took Max off to Scaboo and he was put on oxygen and monitors and we went to go and see him a little bit later. And, you know, there, this babyhood seemed very healthy and beautiful, was attached to monitors, had tubes, he was being tube fed through his mouth and um, he had oxygen in his nose and in an incubator that we had to, you know, open the little hole. Mm-hmm. And you just, the things that you see, but you don't expect to happen, especially mm-hmm. because we'd had that hour and a half where he'd seemed like everything had gone so smoothly. So it was a real mm-hmm. roller coaster and a bit of a plummet. And it continued really on that course for, for a few mm. days. We, we mm. got good news and then it went backwards. We thought he was coming out and then they took him off the oxygen. He didn't respond so well. He then showed signs of infection in his blood. So before he was a day old, he had a lumbar puncture um, to test yeah. for meningitis. He was on antibiotics in the cannula in his hand. Um, and we knew we were going to be in hospital for at least five days while he had that course of antibiotics. And then he started to get better they released him out of Scabu for some time with me on the ward. And then suddenly they said, actually, we run out of beds. It's too busy. You're going to have to go home and leave him oh, here. Oh, my word. Devastation. Yeah, that I have to say that was the moment I'd held it together mm. very well. And that was the moment I just burst out crying. I just thought, no, mm. this is enough now. I've Because mm. it was so up you know we just had that up again of him being mm. given to me to start breastfeeding and then mm. they were it, it felt like it was constantly good news followed by one step forward two steps backwards mm. anyway the amazing nurse in Scabu refused point blank she said I'm not having a breastfed baby that I've just taken the tubes out of you can't separate him from his mother um it's not happening and they really put their foot down and we were able I was able to stay with with him and we were moved to a private room, which made a hell of a difference because the ward was so busy. It was quite stressful. You know, it's a stressful environment. I know you talk a lot about the sensory environment coming out of the womb. Mm-hmm. And on a ward, it's bright lights, loud noises, there's mm-hmm. alarms, buzzers. You know, and that's a stressful environment for him. It's a stressful environment for me. Plus, you're very aware you don't want your baby to really make too much noise because you don't want to disturb other people. So you're getting to know your baby's noises and what the different cues mean. but you are rushing things and you're feeling stressed about things. And I found 
the first day I was breastfeeding him was actually the day my milk came in as well. So <laughs> I didn't have the, the three, the two or three days warm up. Um, yeah. To, to become familiar with it. So that, that day was a very stressful day, but we were moved into mm. a private room and it made such a difference. And things have really just gone on the up since then. And we, mm. we were released on the, the Sunday. So a week after I'd gone in, um, in labor, we, we made our way home on the Sunday and he's been home with us ever since. And actually he's, he's a dream. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. What a story. You know, what it really highlights for me, and, and I'm sure. Um, everyone who's listening has got some highs and some lows. You know, some might have had a traumatic and unexpected birth process, may not have had their dream beautiful water birth, and then had a perfect baby afterwards. Yours was the other way around. You know, textbook beautiful mm. water birth, hypnobirthing couldn't be better, and then you know the the roller coaster afterwards. And you know, it takes me back to a conversation you and I had when we were walking around mental flexibility. Mm. We were walking and we were talking about how really the one thing that's needed when it comes to birth and early parenting is the ability to kind of roll with the punches. And at the time when I was saying it to you, I was meaning, well, if you end up having to have a cesarean section, then you'll get your head around it. Or if you find you can't breastfeed, then you'll get your head around it. And at no point did it even enter your mind that we might be dealing with an ill baby. And Mm. um, I think that that kind of lesson must be something that every mom has to deal with in different respects. Absolutely. I'm, and, and that's, as you say, I'd, for, throughout the whole of my pregnancy, really, I'd been very relaxed about the fact that, you know, my dream was to have the water birth and, and has, have it as I had it. My dream was to breastfeed, but I know a lot of um, people who have really struggled with breastfeeding. And, you know, I thought I'd very much was going in with the attitude that I will give it my absolute all, but ultimately a happy mum is better than a super stressed mum desperately trying to breastfeed Absolutely. a baby. Um, Absolutely. So I, you know, I, I, I certainly had gone in with that the same about the birth. Ultimately, whatever meant a healthy baby and a healthy me was the the ultimate goal. And you know, the, nothing at the journey to get there wasn't wasn't so relevant. It, and in fact, I had I was really interested. I had the group strep B test, which they don't actually give a standard here. I had that at 36 weeks and there had been a bit of resistance because they said, you know, if you have that and it comes back positive, you won't have the labor that you're hoping for. You'll have to come in straight away, be put on antibiotics. You can't have, you have to be monitored more closely. And Mm. I found that really interesting that they didn't necessarily want to give me that because to me, I didn't care about the labor I had really. It was about Mm. what was going to keep my baby healthy Yeah, and, and that flexibility. But I, it absolutely never entered my head that, um, mm. that actually the flexibility was going to have to come around your baby's, you know, going, going into special care and, it, you know, you're going to have to be very resilient. I mean, there's certainly an element mm. where Alex and I have looked back and sort of gone, whoa, we were just, you were just getting from minute to minute and, and coping. Mm. But, you know, there's an element of, pride at how we how we dealt with it you know it's mm. early cha- early challenge for a parent you can go okay mm. this is yeah. it now for the rest of, yeah. for the yeah. rest of for the rest of his life but but I think you know you, I think there's something kicks in as a parent anyway that you do have that flexibility because you don't have a choice you know you've got to do what's right for your baby and and you just you become it's about your baby not about you and mm. so you mm. just go okay this is what's got to happen and I'm fine as long as my baby's fine so I think that really helps yeah no absolutely well I think your story will be very useful and those life lessons for mums is particularly if they're approaching birth you know that, that mm. you, you you will need to be flexible and resilient and and as you say it's it's kind of really 
creating resilience between you and, and Alex. It's amazing. So the week has had some serious highs because he yes. is an utterly gorgeous baby. <laughs> I mean, he really, he has this shock of blonde hair. He does. Um, quite angelic looking actually and then it's had these terrible lows that he had all of these you know pipes and tubes and monitoring and antibiotics and I remember I think it was on day two you messaged me to say um they're giving him formula now which Mm. wasn't part of your plan um so it had its lows as well have there been things that you've kind of wondered about that you think other parents would would you know would appreciate understanding more about questions maybe that you have that that you would love to have been answered I think, I mean, I have to say the, the time in the hospital, I don't think I really had, I went into autopilot mode, but it's since coming home, you know, one thing I have become really aware of for other parents is I had a week where as much as it was horrible, what we were experiencing, I had, I was surrounded by experts on call at all times. So I had a real security blanket around me for a week and I really thought about parents going home 24 hours after the birth and it's all so new and I kind of had that moment with a a better foundation than I would have done without my week in hospital but I still have come back and I've you know even in the last he came on Sunday we're now Friday so over the last five days I my confidence has grown and I'm learning so much more but you know it's things it's having the confidence to trust your instincts as a mum but one of actually one of the things I think I'm more concerned around, and I don't know if I am right in being so concerned, in the hospital, because he had antibiotics, his nappies were constant and very acidic because of the antibiotics. And so we were, you know, every, you, you, I mean, to the point where you'd change it and then you'd put on a new nappy and you'd hear him go again. And he actually got quite bad nappy rash, even though we were putting on, you know, the, the barrier because the antibiotics were giving him such acidic poo, it was, it, it, we had to, he had to change all the time. And I feel like that hasn't actually left me to the point where I'm, I think I'm a little bit too paranoid now about changing his nappy. And that, I suppose now that he's settled down and it's normal, it's a case of, do I have to check the nappy all the time constantly mm. to check mm. that he's not going to get nappy rash again? He's, he's not sitting in poo. Mm. Or is it a case of, if he's really uncomfortable, he's going to tell me and I don't need yeah. to be so paranoid about it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's actually a great question and a very common concern. And um, I think that you do need to check um, because I think that any soiled poo nappy needs to be changed pretty quickly. Um, mm. You know, the, and so I would, I would say, and that's one of the reasons why I always say to mums is, Buy a pack of extremely cheap nappies for those early days because you, you know, if you're using disposables, because you are going to be changing it kind of 15 times a day. I mean, sometimes definitely with every feed, but sometimes twice in a feed and once in between as well, you know? Yeah. So yes, the answer to the question is if, if there's a poo nappy, you need to change it immediately. Um, urine nappies are different because, well, your baby should be making a lot of urine nappies all day and that you, they can make that as you finish feeding and then obviously only make the poo just before the next feed, for instance. And so you won't need to change those all the time. Um, disposable nappies are incredible with wicking away the moisture. And so you don't need to worry about nappy rash. Generally, you don't have to worry about nappy rash with, with urine. But certainly with poos, I would change them immediately. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you always have to take the nappy off. You sometimes just kind of stick your finger on the edge and kind of pull mm. it forward and you can check what's in there. Um, but if it is a poo, I would change it. You know, nappies are a very interesting thing because what happens is that in the early days, you've got this dark black meconium 
poo, mm. which is actually the, it's actually your, your first poo, which is made up of the hair and the body particles that your baby consumed in utero. So Max, well, um, throughout his preg- your pregnancy, he was actually swallowing amniotic fluid. And what was in the amniotic fluid was his own hair and his own um, skin cells. And so that is actually what, what is part of the meconium. And that is the first poo that does need to be passed. Then what typically happens is that that takes a few days, it passes through it. And the more you breastfeed, in fact, the quicker that passes through, obviously. Um, and then that, and the colostrum helps with that as well. And eventually that's moved through into the, and it becomes that kind of mustard yellow breastfed baby poo. And breastfed baby poo kind of looks like yellow slime with a whole lot of little bird seeds in it. And um, and that is a healthy baby poo, um, which potentially maybe for Max it wasn't exactly like that because, as you said, there was antibiotics. Well, we also, of course, for the first few days, didn't do any of that sort of thing, the changing of the nappy mm. or anything, because they were doing it in Scabu. And interestingly, they had obviously a different approach. They couldn't do it as and when he went to the loo. It was every three hours they would do a nappy check. And so, but then, you know, so I know he must have been sitting in some of that antibiotic and because he was having mm. a lot of formula to get, mm. build up his strength. But and, and interestingly, uh, everywhere I've read, it said yellow and his poos are quite orange. And I checked, but I've checked with the midwife several yeah. times and they've said yeah. they've even seen them and they've said they're absolutely fine. Absolutely so fine. there yeah. is a, there is a scale of the yellow, which again, you don't Correct. know, you read everywhere says yellow yeah. and then you become yeah. obsessed with, oh my God, <laughs> this is it's orange. It's not yellow. So, <laughs> and it's, it's very interesting you say that because I have also seen newborn baby poos that are green and, you know, and it's kind of bright, luminous green. And then you're worrying that actually it's supposed to be yellow, not green. And I'm sure that you've been told by your midwife that actually it's what you eat as well that affects your baby's color yeah. of poo. So potentially you're having more carrots and so it's more orange or, you know, another mum's eating a huge amount of spinach for iron and so her, her baby's poos are green. So you do get this incredible variation with, with poo colors. And then what you'll find is at the moment, I mean, like I said, 15 times a day they can poo and then that'll start to become more regular and it'll start mm. to slow down a bit. And then what's very interesting, Kaz, and you and I, I'm sure we'll be talking about this in the next <laughs> couple of weeks, is that his poos will actually stop being that regular. And so he might go for two or three days without a poo. And so it can do a total swing. And so, you know, with, with breastfed baby poos, we say you can have one poo, seven poos in one day or one poo in seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, when that happens, the moms who are listening who've had that know that that poo is an explosion of note <laughs> and it needs to be changed quickly because clothes are covering are covered yeah. in it. And so, yes, no, poos are a very interesting theme and it's incredible how as parents we start to talk about poos an enormous amount yeah. when we have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's just a shame because he really doesn't love nappy changing time. And it's the only, he's the most relaxed baby. And it's such a joy to spend, you know, whether he's sleeping or awake or feeding. But then just those couple of minutes where his nappy's being changed, he just doesn't, he doesn't love it. Sometimes he's okay. And at night when we're getting in this part of his bedtime routine, we've got a stars on the seat, you know, rotating on the wall. And he loves looking at that and that sort of thing. But during, during the day, it can be a bit, so you sort of think, Oh, I don't want to put him through it again because he doesn't love it. Mm. But you know, he, he, I think the more we do it and we started singing to him and you know, that sort of mm. thing, he's getting more, more engaged with it. So it's, so one that, yeah. So one of the things you can actually do for that, and it's very interesting because my third baby absolutely hated having a nappy changed and bath time as well. She would scream blue murder at bath time and at nappy change time. And it was only when she learned at about nine weeks to hold her hands together towards the midline, which is one of our classic self-soothing strategies, when she learned to do that and she wasn't um, – 
um, overridden with reflexes. And by that, I mean, you know, in the early days, you'll notice that when Max screams, his arms flail and they kind of mm. flap around and, and he, you can see he's agitated. And as they get a little older, the, the, um, those reflexes, which are the startle reflexes and even the Mario reflexes, stop interfering with hand movement. And they can actually hold their hands together at midline. They kind That's of fine. hold their thumbs or hold their hands. And as they start to do that, they start to contain that um, that feeling of almost like of insecurity almost of, of their arms moving around. But one of the things that you can do is you can try and help him by actually holding his hands together. So, you know, as you start to change the nappy, bring his shoulders towards the midline. So um, you can do that by positioning a little bit of a, of a, of a kind of toweling nappy rolled up around his shoulders behind him. So that his, his arms are almost forced forward slightly. Mm-hmm. And then if his arms are going all over the place, as he starts to cry, just hold his hands together and that will help him to feel like, okay, so yes, nappies are being changed, but, I'm a little bit more contained. And that's obviously more, it's easier said than done because you've got only two hands and you've got to change the nappy and not get his feet in the nappy, <laughs> which is another story. <laughs> and, and with a boy, you've got to contain other areas as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you been weed on yet? Because if you haven't, you haven't been christened. Okay, you've no, been christened. La- okay. <laughs> last night, last night was the first, but he's, he's christened the hospital floors. He's christened chairs. He's christened, <laughs> but last night was my turn. So. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, Kester, I mean, I'm so looking forward to following your journey to, over the course of this year. Are there any questions, you know, as we come towards the end of the session together, are there any questions, other questions you have about this first week? You know, the, the other one I thought about this morning, because he's very good. He wakes, he's very good at nights, but in the morning, he's waking up now at about quarter to six. And before we were kind of putting him down again for another few hours, but then we've now decided, okay, we're all going to get up at that time and his sleep, next sleep will be downstairs and, and that sort of thing. And we've got the bedtime routine, but then with the waking up, it feels sort of a bit much to be like, okay, morning, <laughs> lights on, you're awake now, it's the day. And so what I have been doing is kind of still the very gentle nappy change and feed as though it's nighttime, but then talking a bit more and then we turn on a few more lights and get him dressed but I know it's sort of trying to separate day and night and make it clear so do you recommend kind of making it a bit more okay you've woken up from your crib we get up and now it's the day or is that gentle sort of still nighttime going into daytime how how do you recommend that transition yeah, so that's a really great question. And first of all, what's really amazing about what you're saying is that he's actually started to establish what is day and what is night. So he's sleeping for longer stretches at night and he's more wakeful in the day, which actually for many babies of only a week and a half old, they're actually have still got day night reversal, which is where they're actually having these very long stretches of sleep in the day and waking up more regularly at night. So it's good that he's already established that. The way that you do it and the way that you make sure you don't get day-night reversal is by having a good bedtime routine, which is Mm. what you've already got in place, and by having a a significant wake-up moment in the morning. And that wake-up moment is usually between 6 and 8 in the morning. And so you'll find that and if you're using the ParentSense app, you'll see that you actually, Mm. when you plug in the time that he woke of the day, you actually can't set it for earlier than 5 and you can't set it for later than 7. And the reason is that classically babies are waking up at that time. And so I would say yes. 
differentiate the day by being more awake, more alert. I know as a new parent, particularly if you haven't been working just before you gave birth, probably nine o'clock was morning for you. <laughs> That's changed now. <laughs> and it'll never be the same again for a very long period of time because for babies, morning can be as early as five in the morning. So you're doing the right thing by waking him up and taking him downstairs. What's interesting is that you're starting to have this strong differentiation between day and night, but I love the fact that you're not being too rigid on a sleep routine yet. And I think that's important for parents to really understand that when you're talking about a 10-day-old baby, you're not talking about a baby who can be in a routine. And that also Mm. means that some days he will wake at 6.30 and in other days he might wake at 10.30. And so, you know, you well, not that late, but a few hours later... (laughs) And so it's having that flexibility and to just say, okay, you know, for now, we're not going to be rigid about anything. But certainly with Max during a waking any time after six, I would consider that a morning waking and treat it very differently to all the night feeds, which would be in the dark and muted. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It seems a bit rude sort of as he's stirring to to suddenly fling on the lights, but he he is awake and he he then tends to stay awake for a little while. So he's giving us that signal, I guess. So yeah. He is, he is, he's a well-regulated little boy. So that's (laughs) wonderful. Kath, I'm so excited to follow your journey. Um, I'm really looking forward to our weekly chats and um, we'll be catching up again. And you can just record down any of the questions. What I can tell you right now, and the moms who are listening will absolutely back this up, is that what you've just mentioned, those two things, day-night reversal and the color of the poos, are probably two of the biggest (laughs) questions of the first week. So there you go. We've managed to cover those all. But I think that's what this is about, is actually having something where you're the person who gets to ask me the questions that everybody else actually wants to ask at that time. So I'm loving this. Thank you, Kath. Well, thanks so much, Meg. And yeah, I look forward to chatting next week. Cheers. Thanks, Meg. Bye. Cass, thanks so much for sharing. Your story is familiar for so many mums, and I know that your questions have been on a lot of mums' minds as they navigate the early days. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download Parent Sensor and take the guesswork out of parenting.